Well, God bless you. Welcome to the Wonderful Words of Life radio program. We're in Matthew chapter 5, and we're speaking of the Sermon on the Mount as we go through this series on the life of the Lord Jesus. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 13. We're going to begin with what Jesus speaks to us today. Now, he was speaking to his disciples, and he was teaching them the foundational truths of uh, the gospel, his gospel, the Lord Jesus, which has now become our gospel, the gospel of Christ. And he was speaking to his disciples. If he spoke to the disciples 2,000 years ago, he is speaking to us today. This is the foundational teaching of Christ that we are to adhere to. Amen. And let me say again that because we have been born again and we have the Holy Ghost living on the inside of us, the greater one being in us, we can observe all of the teaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. This is not something that it is impossible for us to do. It is impossible for a person who is not born again to keep the Sermon on the Mount. But God has removed that barrier. He has come to live on the inside of us. The power of Christ now lives in us. The law of Christ is the law that we are observing now. And yes, we can do what Jesus says uh, we are to do. Praise God. So we'll begin in Matthew 5, 13. But let's uh, take a moment to pray and ask God's blessing on this session today. Uh, Blessed Father, we thank you for your goodness, for your mercy. Now, Lord, uh, take your word. Amen. Direct our hearts towards it. Plant it in our heart that we may bear fruit unto you. And we give you thanks and praise for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Praise God. All right, Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse 13. Notice he says this. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt has lost its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? Amen. Talking about our life. How is our life going to be salted if the salt that uh, we are supposed to be of has lost its savor? Talking about It's talking more to us about our life than it is about anything else. It is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and to be trodden underfoot of men. Now, notice he says this. He says, ye are the salt of the earth. Now, we know what salt is. We know that salt is a flavor enhancer. We know that salt is a preserver. We know that salt is a purifier. It can purify a wound. Salt can also purify and clarify cloudy water and make it drinkable. You ever thought about that? And so what Jesus is implying here is that we today, the church, we are to have a purifying effect upon the world around us. We are the salt of the earth. In other words, we are the ones that take our home, our community, uh, the place wherein we live. Amen. And we're to purify it. Praise God. We are to keep it from spoiling. Amen. We're to cleanse it. In other words, we are to bind up the wounds that have been created in our communities. How do we do this? Well, we do it through the gospel of the grace of God. We do it by pouring in the oil and the wine of God's grace. Amen. Purifying the wounds and the bruises and the putrefying sores. Amen that so many men carry in this world. And then Jesus goes on and he says this. He says, you are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle 
Notice that. Neither do men light a candle, but put it under a bushel. Let me read that again. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it gives light unto all that are in the house. Think about that. And then he says this. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. See, men have to see the good works that are in the church. We cannot be 100% against this and against that. Well, we're against this, we're against that. No. The community and the people that live around us, they have to see our good works. Amen. The kind of good works that will cause them to glorify God. Notice the identification. Our good works, amen, speak to them of who our God is who our Heavenly Father is. Amen. So there's a correlation there. There's a coupling there between the works of the church and the glorifying of the Father. The world is looking for Jesus while they're looking at the church. They're searching for Jesus and they're looking at the church. Amen. So I certainly hope that we as believers are a true reflection of Christ. Amen. And then he says this, notice this, he says uh, in verse 15, Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that it gives light unto all that are in the house. See, that's speaking of the light of the gospel. And the light of the gospel is obscured when Christians cease to be the salt of the earth. A church that is in sin is a church that's taking the light that they should be shining out and they're hiding it under a bushel. The true gospel light is that which shines into the darkness into this world. Amen. Praise God. So we must be the salt of the earth. We must be the light of the world. That's what Christ has called us to. And that's what we better be doing. Amen. If you're listening to this broadcast, you are called by Christ to be the salt and the light. And so we, you and I, all, all of us, all of us that, that uh, claim Christ as Savior, we are to be the salt and the light. Amen. We're to have a positive, uh, 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 we're to be a, a preserver of truth. We're to be a purifier of our communities. Amen. We're to add flavor to our communities. Amen. We do that through being salt and light. And then Paul, uh, I'm sorry, then the Lord Jesus goes on in verse 17. He begins to talk to the disciples about the fulfillment of the law and how the fulfillment of the law is in him. Praise God. Amen. Notice what he says in verse 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Now, I find that very interesting because the Greek word destroy is kataluo. And it means to loosen down. It means to disintegrate or to demolish. And what Jesus is saying here, I have not come to loosen down. I have not come to disintegrate or I have not come down to demolish the law, but to fulfill it. And Paul said this in Romans chapter 10. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Amen. He came to fulfill it. 
And what I'm talking about here is that the law brought us to the realization that we are sinners. It brought us to that point. It could not take us beyond that point. It proves to us that in ourselves, we cannot please God. So there needs to be something added to our life. And you know, you know that as well as I do. One of the reasons why you came to Christ is you realized that there was a void in you, that there was something lacking in your life, something that you were looking for, searching for. Well, <clears throat> Christ revealed himself to you. And you found that missing piece, that 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 piece that brought fulfillment to your life. And of course, that fulfillment is life in the Lord Jesus. So when Jesus said this, think not that I'm think not that I'm come to destroy the law. I haven't come to loosen it down. Now, there's a lot of churches that have. I tell you, they have watered down the word of God. They have watered down holiness. They've approved of all kinds of things and allowed them to get into the church. They have become the church of Laodicea. They have become the church that just accepts all of these ungodly things into their church and think that they're doing right. And they've been deceived. They're not doing right. Amen. The law still stands. It hasn't been changed. It's been fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Now, notice what Jesus says here in verse 18. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law until all be fulfilled. Now, the yot and the tittle are Hebrew marks in their literature or in their writings. Amen. Not one yot or not one tittle is going to be removed from the law until all be fulfilled. So, you better, you and I better be brushing up on our Old Testament. We better be taking the old and the new together. Amen. Because this is what we're going to be judged by. We're going to be judged by the word of God. Amen. Praise God. And notice, but now notice what, uh, what Jesus said to the scribes. He says, woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. For you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law and the weightier matters of the law were this judgment, mercy and faith. You mean to tell me I can learn about judgment and I can learn about mercy and I can learn about faith through the Old Testament? Absolutely. In the old, the new is concealed, but in the new, the old is revealed. Amen. Christ is the fulfillment of the law. Amen. The law has been fulfilled in us and through us through Christ. Praise God. And then, of course, Jesus says these ye ought to have done and not to have left the other undone. Amen. So God says to the Lord Jesus says, yeah, you need to be paying tithe, but not at the expense of judgment and mercy and faith. Praise God. Now, verse 19 says this. He says, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Praise God. So we know that the law of God is holy, just, and good. But we're sinners. We were sinners. Amen. 
we found ourselves outside of the law. But now when Christ came to us and when he opened up our heart to receive the engrafted word, which is able to save our souls. Amen. The real lawgiver, the true lawgiver, the one that fulfills the law came on inside of us. Praise God. And so we found the things in the law that we were unable to do. Now we're able to do them. We're able to obey them. Praise God. And then Jesus said in verse 20, for I say unto you that except your righteousness. Now he's talking to the disciples now. That except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Amen. See, it was the religious order in the days of Jesus that sought to kill the Lord. They were guilty of murder. They had already committed murder in their hearts. And eventually, amen, to fulfill that which uh, was in the plan of God, they fulfilled that murder in their hearts by killing the Lord Jesus. Amen. So, and we're going to find from this point on now that uh, the Lord Jesus, he's describing the difference between the law of Moses and the law of Christ. See, the law of Christ requires us in a deeper way to fulfill the law of God. But now Christ would not require us to do something if it was not if we were not able to do that. Amen. But now he has made us able He has made us able partakers of the covenant. Why? Because he lives on the inside of us. His power is now living within us. We now have the ability through Christ to please God. And then he launches, first of all, into murder. The very thing that the Pharisees were guilty of, he addresses. Notice this, verse 21. You have heard that it was said of them of old time, talking about the Old Testament law, you shall not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother Raka shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say you fool shall be in danger of hellfire. Now, Is Jesus Christ requiring us to fulfill this commandment? Absolutely. But notice the key words. Notice what Jesus says. But whoever is angry with his brother without a cause. Now, why would you or I be angry with our brother without a cause? Well, it has to be jealousy or envy or a work of the flesh. Something that is evil on the inside of us that is causing us Uh, to hate or to have ought against somebody who has done nothing wrong against us. See, that's evil. That's exactly what the Pharisees were doing and feeling towards Christ. They wanted to get their hands on him. They wanted to kill him, even though he was doing many wonderful works, all because he was healing on the Sabbath day. See, that offended them. And they sought to kill him because of it. Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause. Now, the cause in Jesus doing these miracles was that they were to follow him. They were supposed to follow him. 
Maybe they were maybe they should have been thinking they said, well, you know, we thought we had this figured out, but maybe we don't. Maybe we need to examine, re-examine what, what we believe. Well, they would have found Christ. But no, the word preached was in their heart like the seed that's by the wayside where the birds come and swallow it up. It didn't take root, didn't get even get into the ground, didn't bear fruit, didn't bear root, didn't grow. Whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. Think about that, that you are I standing at the judgment seat of Christ. And we're having to address and answer Christ for being angry with our brothers without a cause. Whoever will say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council, but whosoever shall say, you fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. See, there were, there were laws established by the scribes concerning how they were to conduct, you know, in relationships one with another. But Jesus is saying, if you, if you say you fool, in other words, you're talking to somebody out of a out of sin that's in your heart, a rebellion that's in your heart. Jesus says you're in danger of hellfire. Friend, I tell you what, when the Bible says for us to walk in love and to live peaceably with all men, we better be walking in love and we better be walking peaceably with all men. And if there's something that a man does or fails to do and we have to wrestle with that, we better get it clear with the Lord Jesus. We better talk to the Lord about him because he'll always give us wisdom and what to do and how to do it. There always is the law of love, the law of Christ, amen, that if we'll yield to it, will dominate our life. Praise God. And then Jesus goes on and says this. He says, therefore, and he gives the, uh, an explanation now, an example of what he's talking about. Being angry with your brother or calling your brother a fool. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there you remember that your brother has ought against you. In other words, you remember that you did something to your brother that offended him. Notice what Jesus says. You leave your gift there at the altar. You go your way. You find your brother. You be reconciled to him. In other words, you apologize. You ask him to forgive you. If there's any restitution that needs to be made, you make it. And then you come and you offer your gift. Think about all the tithes that people think, oh, man, I'm going to get a reward in heaven. But, you know, you sowed that tithe and you had done wrong to your brother and you haven't confessed it. You haven't made it right. You got in strife with your daughter. You got in strife with your with your wife or your husband or with your neighbor. And you don't talk to one another. Matter of fact, you hate one another. You may have said that. I hate that person. But yet you turn around and you, and you drop your tithe money. You drop your service, you know, expect God to give you a reward. Well, you're not going to get one. Jesus is not going to accept your gift at the altar until you go your way, until you reconcile with your brother. And then after you've done that, you've got all that strife taken care of. You've you've uh, you've buried that hatred. Amen. Praise God. You've cast it into the sea of forgetfulness. You're quick to forgive. You're quick to forget. Then Jesus says, you come back and you offer your gift and I'll receive it then. So if you've offended someone and you've sinned against them and but you have not reconciled, I mean, pride is keeping you from doing that. 
Number one, you got to make confession. And number two, you got to offer rest- restitution. You've got to make it right with your neighbor. Praise God. That is, if we want to be right before God. If we want our prayers to be answered, if we want our offerings to be accepted, we're going to have to do that. Jesus requires that. And then the Lord Jesus goes on in verse 25 and he says this, agree with your adversary quickly while you are in the way with him. In other words, on your way to court, he's taking you to court over something that you've done. And he says, while you are in the way, you agree with him. In other words, you settle this thing out of court. You make sure you come to an agreement. You know you're at fault. He's got you. Well, you better reconcile with him because when you get into the court and he proves you're guilty, guess what? The judge is going to drop the hammer on you. Notice what Jesus says. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are in the way with him. Lest at any time the adversary, the judge, the prosecutor, delivers you to the judge and the judge delivers you to the officer and you're cast into prison. People are in prison today because they failed to do what Jesus said do. Verily I say to you, you shall by no means come out until you have paid the uttermost farthing. There is a way that you can make reconciliation. You can come to an agreement. Amen. Praise God. See, the word agree with is called a present periphrastic imperative statement. In other words, Jesus is commanding us to do this. You agree with your adversary and you do it quickly. Don't hold on hoping. Amen. Hoping beyond hope that the judge is going to agree with you. No, sir. You go ahead and get it right. Amen. And then Jesus goes on in verse 27. And he gets into the subject of adultery. See, we today, we don't think we think adultery. Ah, You know, it's. You know what that is? That's a mortal sin. Adulterers will not get into heaven. So this is very important. This is number two. This is number two, praise God. And what the Lord Jesus is talking about here and, and pertaining to the law, this is number two. You have heard that it was said of them of old time, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, Notice this, that whosoever looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery already in his heart. Think about that. Committing adultery with her in his heart. And see, the Lord Jesus here, he's addressing the deeper problem, not the act, but that which is in our heart. You know, David, when he saw Bathsheba, should have looked away, but he didn't. Amen. Sin created something in his heart and it moved him not just to commit adultery, but to commit murder murder and try to cover it up. See, sin always takes us farther than what we wanted to go. And it always cost us more than what we wanted to pay. That sin of David cost him and it cost his family. Amen. So if there is something in us, amen, called adultery, we better deal with it and get it out. Confess it. Ask Christ to come in and heal us, and he'll do that. He'll come in, he'll heal us. Praise God, and he'll set us free. 
Now notice verse 29. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out, cast it from thee. No, I'm not talking something literally doing that. But notice this is the spirit of the law. For it is profitable for you that one of your members should perish, but not that your whole body shall be cast into hell. Once again, who is Jesus teaching? He's teaching his disciples. If your right eye offends you, cut it off, cast it from you, for it is profitable for thee that one of your members should perish and not that your whole body should be cast into hell. I tell you, this, this can't not paint a clearer picture of the command to holiness than what the Lord Jesus has presented in these two verses. Once again, Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14, follow peace with all men in holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Anything that comes between us, anything that countermands the will of God is covetous, it's idolatry. Amen. It's not holiness. We are to be holy as he is holy. That means anything that tries to enter into our heart to defile us, we've got to check it at the door. We've got to rebuke, rebuke it. We've got to turn from it. Amen. We abhor that which is evil, but we cleave unto that which is good. Praise God. And then verses 32, um, 31 and 32, it's been said, whoever shall put away his wife, let him give her a writing of divorcement. But I say to you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery. And whosoever shall marry her that is divorced commits adultery. Once again, we're talking to the disciples. In other words, we're talking to the church. And I know there's a lot of divorce going on in the world, but it should not be once named in the church. So Jesus is speaking here of the difference between the scribal law and the law of God. Infidelity and adultery are the only two acceptable reasons why a man or a woman should morally or ethically divorce their marriage partner. And I know there's a lot of other issues involved. There's um, physical and verbal abuse. A wife is not to live under that kind of environment. She is to flee. But Jesus is, is speaking here of the issue of divorcing because you're not happy and you got your eyes on another person to marry them. That's what Jesus is talking about here. He's not talking about issues that uh, where the, the partner's life is in danger or the children are in danger. In that case, you need to get out of that house for sure. And God will work it out. Amen. He knows your heart. Praise God. But we have to understand that when Jesus said what he said in verse 32, he's speaking of the will of God in marriage. And he's speaking to us as his followers. So what Jesus teaches Concerning marriage and divorce, does not, it does not apply to the pagan world, but it does apply to the church today. It applies to you and I as believers in the church. So if any couple, now just think about this for a moment. If any couple in this world has the capacity to learn to love, to honor, to obey one another, to work through the problems I know there's a lot of problems that are brought into a marriage union. Absolutely. But listen, the love of God covers a multitude of sins. 
you, your spouse can learn to love one another if you just drop your pride. If through the love of God, you love one another, you have mercy upon one another and you seek always reconciliation, you work together, amen, to develop a wholesome marriage, it'll work because Christ is in the middle of it. Isn't that what he said? Where two or three are gathered together in my midst, there am I in the midst of them. Who are the three people in the midst? That's you, your spouse, and the Lord Jesus. You can't tell me that you can't work these things out, but you can work them out. Amen. But I say to you that whosoever shall put away his wife, saving for the cause of fornication, causes her to commit adultery, and whosoever shall marry her, that is divorced, commits adultery. This is a very, very, very important issue. Amen. Marriage and divorce in the church. We better be following the law of Christ. If we want it to go well with us, we better do it. So, Heavenly Father, we bless you today in the name of Jesus. Let this word of God go forth into our heart. May it find rich soil by which to grow and produce a harvest. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that if you were to die today, that you would be prepared for heaven? If you're not sure, then I encourage you to pray this prayer with me. Father God, I come to you through your Son, Jesus Christ. I repent and ask you to forgive me of my sin and cleanse me from all unrighteousness. I surrender my heart and life to you. By faith, I believe I receive you as my Lord and Savior, and I thank you for receiving me in Jesus' name. Amen. If you prayed this prayer and desire to know more about the gift of Christ that the Heavenly Father offers you, then email us at rbtc86 at gmail.com. We will be glad to answer your questions promptly and provide you at your request with materials that will help you to grow in your faith in the Lord Jesus. This is Patsy Dunning. Thank you for listening to our broadcast today. And let me remind you to tune in to this station at the same time next week to hear more of the wonderful words of life. God bless you and remember what Jesus said. It is the Spirit who gives life.